Give me some level on your vocal singing stylings. No, I'm good. Oh, come on. I you saw were that button go. Yeah, I know. Well, you told me it was going to be organic. Coffee drinkers, hello. Hello. What's happening? It's Christmas, friends. It is. Well, uh, no, it's the holiday season. There you go. Christmas has not arrived yet. Okay. And I can only be particularly, singularly excited about Christmas as a non-denominational thing because Christmas Day is my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Beautiful. I actually got the right notes. Um, well, you told me this was going to be organic. Mm-hmm. So go ahead, be organic. What are we talking about today? Oh, we can't be that organic. Oh, no. We have to, let's, yeah, we have let's to build into it. into it a little bit. <laughs> we have all kinds of things to get to today. Questions. And if you haven't left us a question on the speakpipe, yannickwasdala.com forward slash podcast, click the appropriate button, leave us a voice message. We will play it in the podcast and attempt to answer your questions as mm-hmm. best we can. And we do have a, a bunch in the list. We're only answering kind of a two, I guess, each episode that seems to be working so far. So if you haven't heard yours yet, don't worry. We are getting to them all in the order we receive them. Is that organic enough now? You can go into it? No, no, no. You got to keep going. <laughs> I got to keep going. Wow. So I've really got to... This is your podcast. For time. <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> How are people doing with the 251 stuff? Have you worked on any of it yet? I don't have my book yet. Oh, okay. Where's my book? <laughs> well, you, I guess it's in my computer because it, I made it. But uh, yeah, I, I would like my physical copy so I can yeah. write in it. The irony being, uh, coffee drinkers, anybody out there that bought the book on Amazon, you get it way faster than we do. I know. And we made it. It's painful. <laughs> you guys order it on the website and get it in like 48 hours or something. And we have to wait. Physical two, copies. Physical copies, yeah. And we have to wait two weeks or something no it's gonna be that long oh i guess it's going in my ipad yeah okay um that's fine i can still write on it with my apple pencil shameless exactly unpaid plug um if anyone checked out the latest uh vlog i put up i did talk about uh the 251 stuff quite a bit Mm -hmm. and i am going to continue to do that it's actually something i've been working on in my practice routine it's something that's that's always relevant, I think, whether you play jazz or not. It's just a great teacher. Isn't, isn't that a thing? Haven't I heard that before where people say jazz is kind of a great teacher, even if you're not a jazz musician? Oh, yeah. Like to really expand your knowledge of harmony. and So true. Something like, um, My head is already, okay, okay, don't have a heart attack or puke. My head, <laughs> And when I say that, she knows another book idea is coming. But I'm already thinking ahead to like the next uh, like the next volume of 251s because we, we it's kind of exciting and one of the things uh, I've jotted down a bunch of notes and we didn't do anything on triads or like oh there's so many places to go there's so many places to go oh, and the places you'll go <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know what that is I have no idea it's I'm Dr. just Seuss. laughing where I thought it was appropriate to laugh <laughs> oh my God, I'm, yeah English. at least I'm being honest about it but to get back to the point mm-hmm. One of the things, when, when I think about that jazz being the teacher um, and what funk being the preacher, isn't that the like the. <laughs> that's isn't that, cute. I think that's a line. Like it's a real line. Jazz is the preacher, funk is jazz the teacher, funk is the preacher. Um, that kind of, you know, a lot of funk is like one chord and a dominant chord at that. 
And when you understand two five one vocabulary, you can expand that dominant chord to a two five mm-hmm. and play all that two vocabulary over the five. So I thought that was would be a great place to go, you know, how to play, which just leads you to so many different melodic and harmonic possibilities over a over something that's static. I think a lot of people get stuck when it's just one chord. Mm-hmm. I know I used to in the beginning, like oh, I'm going to run out of ideas really mm-hmm. quickly. It's true. Yeah. You know. Do you have that feeling, like? I remember I've only ever done two or three like wedding gigs in my life. And I remember how many of you are rolling your eyes right now? Like I am only two Chelsea. or three. I'm serious. I know. You know, yeah, but you, you probably ate well two or more three. consistently than I did. hundred. <laughs> yeah. At the weddings for free. <laughs> See, that's what I was missing. In the back out room. <laughs> Mind you, it was a ham and cheese sandwich from three weeks ago while the guests were eating turkey and filet filet but yeah. you know it was food okay um but the point being i remember quite vividly one of the wedding gigs i did and it was it it, it is obvious that i am not like that player mm-hmm. and especially when i was like 18 i definitely had no idea i thought every gig had the same rules so I, I I'd treat a gig with my own band or a gig of the wedding gig the same way I would treat a gig with my own band. So I was just like, well, when's it my turn to let rip? You know what I mean? But I remember very clearly that being the moment I realized a bass solo on a groove tune is a 98% of the time unapplicable mm. if there's dancing involved, especially if there's dancing oh, don't involved. Even start with that. And there was, I did, we were doing the top 40 set, you know, the, might have been like dancing in the streets like Bowie or something like that like a big tune that everyone knew and everyone was up and dancing and the band leader did turn around and say hey why don't you oh no let one rip yeah and and I I went I was like playing teen town licks and just the worst and the whole kind of I noticed the dance floor sort of fall apart and look around and be like what is going on with this band I don't know where we were going with this oh one chord vamps Mm-hmm. And and being a bass player, especially, and right. you know, so my advice is always when somebody turns around and say, "Oh, why don't you take a solo?" It best to just say, "Yeah, next time." Yeah, it's funny you say that. That happened to me last night. Oh, it did on my gig because my next question was going to be, "How do you feel about that situation?" Oh, my my answer is always no, thank you. Because you and must come across that like every gig, and okay. I don't care if people vibe me. The people on the stage, it's just inappropriate i think the very first lesson that my dad who was my jazz teacher ever taught me was play the gig and for a bass player almost the number one rule after play the gig is don't take a solo (laughs) if you're playing the gig correctly most of the time a bass solo is uncalled for right it is a very rare situation where you're playing a casual that the audience is actually listening Right. If you're playing a musical wallpaper gig and there are more than three band members, the bass player never needs to take a solo. Maybe when people are truly no longer listening at all <laughs> and the room isn't insanely loud with talking or whatever else is going on. Sure, if you're really just in a place where you're just having fun, then go at it. But for the most part, you just lay it down and don't even worry about it. And right. the place I was playing last night was a very fancy hall of some sort it was okay. very echoey we uh, were um our worst enemy huh oh yeah we the were big at hall. the top of a marble staircase the band oh. and the rest of the party 
was not only at the bottom of the staircase, but all the way down the hall, oh, like a no. hundred yards away. Disconnected. Just not even. And the the um, coordinator, the event coordinator, kept coming up the stairs right to our singer in the microphone and saying, can you guys please turn up even more? <laughs> Meanwhile, we're on this tiny landing yeah. in front of a PA. The the singer is right next to her PA, so our ears are just being blown <laughs> out, trying to blast this music yeah. all the way across this. And the singer turns turns around and goes, "Hey, you want to play on this?" And I was like, "Girl, wow, love you, but not the right time. Absolutely not." But that's cool, and it's good to know that that's an option. I think not a lot. Yeah. Of, I think people get a little flustered, like, "Oh, oh, I, I, I better." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say no to drugs and bass solos. <laughs> that's my next T-shirt. That'd be. Oh, that's a great T-shirt. No, God, please no. Come on. Anyway, this is uh, trying to take away from the fact that we just put out a book on bass soloing, maybe. Well, yeah. No, no, but <laughs> appropriate just appropriate bass soloing. Uh, yeah, appropriate. It's like it's it's all very well having this information, but it's. I think the biggest thing is like knowing when to use it. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember, like that that stuff like mm-hmm. having a little bit of melody but still having the groove came right uh, i just started thinking about that like i remember driving home after that gig and thinking what did i do wrong i, cu- I couldn't put it together quite quite yeah i just didn't have any experience but I, that stuff started coming soon after that like how do i do both things charlie hunter mm. you know i didn't know i was listening to charlie hunter i don't think he's on so many records that i don't think so many people are aware of and um he does that exceptionally well obviously that's his thing playing bass and guitar at the same time and uh so as an aside charlie's been a huge influence on me for doing that but that came pretty soon i'd like to do a book on that oh my god that's what 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 people are asking well maybe maybe we're talking about chordal harmony part two Mm -hmm. maybe that should be a part of it like chordal groove or something like that separate could be a whole thing, right? Cordial, yeah. This is the point, coffee drinkers, where you step in and give us mad feedback on Instagram at or Chelsea on wherever. Base or wherever. Yeah, Speakpipe would be great. Leave yeah. us a comment. Ask us some questions about that. If there's something that came up just now, ask us some questions about that. We like to hear. Like we sit there, as you can see, like this is really happening in real time. We didn't script any of this, and we sit here and we have these ideas, and then we go and make books about them and do stuff about them. So. This I had a really valuable question, then you stopped it short oh, with your no. speak pipe ad. Sorry. Oh, I remember now. Now, tell me. Um, I've never asked you when you started playing that stuff after you kind of figured it out under your fingers. When did you, And I feel like this might be a different answer than for most people who are like trying out really scary stuff and then they try it in public for the first time. Right. Because your guitar playing was so solid already that playing chords oh. on that instrument probably wasn't as foreign for you as it... Playing chords on the bass. On the mean. bass yeah. isn't as foreign as it is for bass players. Sure. As I, a whole. Yeah, I definitely had like a wide fingerboard type mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, I right. played classical guitar and tons of like counterpoint stuff mm. and bass lines and melodies that were going in different directions and, and chords, like you said. So I think I got super lucky with the technique transferring when I picked up the bass. So it was very instant, a lot of it. I will say that. So yeah, maybe it's a little bit of a different story than, than mm. some people who just started on a bass. Um, I was told 
or heard I, I can't remember where I heard it but I was told or heard very early on like don't try and play the stuff on the gig that night that you've been practicing earlier on in oh, that, yeah. in that day and I heard that when I was like maybe 15 or 16 something like that very early on it might even have been Lawrence Cottle that told me that you know my my, my mentor um back then and whoever it was it was a really solid piece of advice because I would do that in the beginning it's true but the mistake there I heard that far too early I think oh okay. and then I ended up never not ever experimenting trying things yeah and it's it actually line. I mean my application of that idea is that uh I only started palm muting on gigs maybe a couple years ago. Oh. Even though I've been playing bass for f 15 years now. Okay. Um, because I was so afraid of it sounding bad, even though I was kind of doing it at home, but I had never done it in like a high pressure right. situation, even when I knew that it, the song required it or it would sound really great. And um, I would just get so nervous to try something that could make the groove fall apart especially when you're doing kind of high pressure gigs that right like on the tv show or something you know where yeah, like sure. i had to be there and if i messed up there was no going back it wasn't right. like a live gig situation so yeah the, the palm muting was definitely not something that came from the classical guitar because that was so much rest stroke and free stroke i can't mm -hmm. actually think off the top of my head when i ever used that technique on the classical guitar hmm. there was no real like um I never was in like a, like that kind of bossa nova thing. I never went to like like Brazilian style guitar where I know they do that sometimes. And but even when you're finger picking on it, guitar, it was very open. I mean, I think I also think that's why my left hand muting technique is so good hmm. because so much of it was there. Right. Like was taken care of with the left hand, you know, my, my, I know my technique is very specific. Right. Um, and I've talked about it a lot, the videos and stuff and on Yannick's Space Studio. But I think that is why the left hand it w was so like right away for me was really easy. So then the, the, the palm muting thing wasn't necessarily about muting like strings that were ringing. Right. It was about getting a stylistic, you know, delay off. And, and about being able to squeeze more out of the note it, it, it wasn't about stopping uh strings ringing on but i think even there the difference is using your thumb at all that's what i was sure. talking about with guitar okay with finger picking you're still using your thumb where most bass players have never experienced that absolutely or they've experienced it you know where, right. they, where they slap right and and of course that kind of double thumb that down mm -hmm. up that was not a technique i used on guitar spanish like flamenco guitar is that a lot is thumb up and thumb down but it's on a nail right and not on the flesh of the skin wow. you know so now it's awesome to do like it feels good and to throw it in on, in a groove i'm not like vic doing it all the time like victor wooten it's not my thing at all but to pop it in here and there is a is a really fun but that's what i feel like would be the equivalent for you now after you've you've mastered all of these techniques yeah and just throwing you into a situation where you have to full-on slap on every song Oof. would be like yeah that'd I'm take a minute about. you know yeah i'd probably want to go and sit down with chris cheney for a couple of days <laughs> and really really take some lessons yeah you know 
even though I, I pro, I'd listen to Larry Graham for hours and hours and hours and hours. Not that I haven't already, but I'd just get way back into that, to the basics, to the mm. real fundamentals, probably listen to some Marcus and stuff, modern stuff. But you know what was hugely important was watching. Yeah. It was like going to gigs and seeing how it all happened in real time. Mm. I think, I, I've talked about this before, maybe we've even talked about it before, I'm not, I'm not, maybe not on the podcast, but the whole YouTube thing, it's like click, 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 and you're not there. You see it, but you're not there. You're getting somebody's camera angle, somebody else's choice of edits as to where you look and for how long you look. I don't know about you. Did you feel that, like going to shows when you were younger? Yeah, absolutely. And also I'm younger, even now. The- we went to a show the other night yeah which we should talk about that's true um i think the first time i experienced something like youtube was the first time i ever saw stanley clark play was a video recording of a live concert and it was the first time i experienced being so pissed that the cameraman would just (laughs) freaking sit on stanley's hands right why can't you just show me what i'm trying to look at yeah, it's, it's crazy when I go back and, and I'm honest with myself about who and what I looked at during a gig. I'd, I'd go for two weeks of going to a gig every night of Lawrence's and only watching him. Yeah, absolutely. Like you can't get, there's no substitute for that. Not only are you in the room and feeling the air moving and like experiencing that and experiencing the audience's reaction, which is huge, which is what I was very interested about. We went to see Kurt Elling. Uh, the other night, which was, wow. I mean, it was spectacular. Mm-hmm. It was one of the best gigs I've seen in years, you know. And I didn't know really what to expect live, although I've been listening because of Chelsea and Chelsea, like that being one of your favorite artists, mm-hmm. um, introducing it to me recently and listening more and more on albums. It was so spectacular. Ooh, I have a, a Chelsea listening. There we go. Tip. Let's do it. Uh, just really quick, um, Kurt Elling does this version of In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning, mm. which is one of my favorite standards of all time. And um, in the the song that he put out on his album is called Leaving Again slash In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning. And it it's this gorgeous verse that I knew was not the actual verse to Wee Small Hours. Um, and I just kind of always wondered where it came from. He does a lot of like settings of poetry to music. Yes. And I was just wondering who wrote the words or where it came from. And I finally looked it up today. It uh-huh. is um, Keith Jarrett's free improvisation on his version of We Small Hours. And Kurt wrote lyrics to it. Wow. And they are like, the first time you hear it, I just like tears streaming down my face. The lyrics are so wow. beautiful. That's not something he played the other night, was no. it? No, no, no. Because he did something else that he's, he had he a poetry. He did The Waking, th- which is a, yeah. a roomy poem. I don't, I don't I'm going to get slammed for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just upright bass and, and Kurt singing The Waking. Um, which album yeah. is it on? Which one? Uh, the Kurt Erling one. <laughs> sorry. The Waking. We Small Hours? The We Small Hours, sorry, yes. Is on Night Moves. Night moves night moves by kurt elling he's trying to find it on the i'm Spotify's. trying to find it on the spotify it's but. too like sad and slow to play right now and it's really long okay just go listen to it friends oh, i've just found it as well but okay yeah, it's, it? it's on oh the waking is also on night moves oh it is is that a little more upbeat yeah maybe we can give our friends over here oh yes they played that and this is a poetry it's not roomy it's uh 
It's pre-written I wake poetry. To sleep and take my waking slow. I feel my fate in what I cannot feel. I learn by going where I have to go. Okay, it, it's on you guys to go check the rest of that out. What I am feeling right now as I listen to that is how he sounded like the album on the show. I knew. I was hoping you were going to say Oh that. my God. It's like you. there are very few people who are that good. It's it, it, not it, even one of those things where he sounded better than the nope, album or he nope. didn't sound the same. It is literally him, whether you're listening to him in person, it's with a microphone, so honest. without a microphone, yes. on a recording. It, it is. Let's talk about that, with a microphone, without a microphone, his mic technique. I'm a bass player, I'm an atrocious singer, and I was <laughs> blown away by him. But Yeah, by him, but his mic technique was ridiculous. Now, there were some things, especially on the very last piece he mm -hmm. played. Skylark. Yeah, where he was like getting the mic away and singing loud and then bringing it in and doing all those kind of singery type things. But mm -hmm. then there was a moment where I had my eyes closed and I opened it and I didn't realize the mic, was, he was holding the mic four feet away, it was nowhere near his mouth, and that was his natural voice in the room. Yep. And I hadn't noticed the change. I mean, it's... It's something like where both of his parents were classically trained singers. Mm -hmm. And they started him at a very young age okay. in choir. And uh, his technique is just insane. I mean, he holds notes for it's, it's 30 seconds that I, as a woman, can't even hit. Right, right. His range <laughs> his is range insane. Is He's like a true bass <coughs> plus a soprano. Yeah, so, yeah, if you get a chance to go see Kurt Elling live, do it. Um, I was blown away by a, a friend of Chelsea's who was playing drums, Christian Human. Mm -hmm. Big shout out to him. I had not heard him play before live, although Chelsea had talked about him. He was in the Monk Institute. Yep. Um, I didn't realize he'd been playing with Kurt for a while. He's another Chicago guy. Mm -hmm. Kurt, for anyone who doesn't know, is from Chicago. The whole band basically was all Chicagoans. And um, what a great lesson in how to pick a band mm. and how to arrange and dynamics and how to create a show. I mean, it was just from top to bottom. We were saying, I think one of my favorite aspects of the show was the fact that there were moments in the show where I could hear a note, a very specific note. It was like the nine of whatever song they were playing in a right. certain register. And I couldn't tell if it was Kurt singing or Marquise Hill playing trumpet, yeah. or the pianist, or the, or guitar, the guitar player. player yeah. I couldn't tell which one of them was playing it. Yeah. And I was just staring at them back and forth. They were kind of holding it like a pedal. Yeah. And there were a few times in the show where things like that happened. Yeah, the and blend was, was unbelievable. And the harmonizing between the trumpet and the mm -hmm. voice was just, was just smoking. So, yeah, it was really fun. Really, really fun show to see. And um, if you haven't checked out Kurt Elling, go dive in and do that a little bit. 1619 yeah. Broadway is my album where i suggest you start there's okay. a lot of killing tracks on that yeah. album and he's so, yeah. very much an instrumentalist yeah as much as he is actually a singer it's 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 pretty crazy and his time i mean it's just so many things we could do five podcasts just on that show it was yeah. it was totally happening um talk to me <laughs> are we gonna we're we gonna go we, now is go? it time to warm up yeah i think we want is this up. a is this a are we going for it this podcast it's a long one yeah, we can go. Over. Come on, this podcast. 
It's coffee okay. drinkers. Well, coffee actually, drinkers are cool. It uh, transitions very nicely from where we were just ordered. Tell me. What I wanted to ask the our friends about. Go. So, um, not just today. Yannick and I have experienced a lot of interesting... Well, YouTube. YouTube is a weird place. It is. There's just an endless amount of whatever you could possibly want to find. Um, but I glorious also... and it can be a minefield. Yeah, right. Minefield. So, uh, <coughs> earlier today I was, you know, scrolling the grams and I happened upon Questlove stories. Ah. And he posted something about his godson who's like maybe nine months old, a year old, okay. um, a year and a half, who was like watching, I want to say it, was, it wasn't it was Shaka Khan, but it was someone just legendary, Prince or something okay. like that. And this kid was just sitting in his high chair, just like staring at the television, watching live concerts right. of legends. And Questlove's whole point was saying that you can't complain about the state of our music today Uh if you are not training your children to appreciate true music okay and i first of all can't agree with that more right um but also i just feel like the true problem is that because of years of this happening now of Mm -hmm. people not being exposed to actually quality music that withstands time without question right that transcends subject uh the being subjective right 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 so what is it about youtube fans Mm -hmm. that just think that anything is good it's i i think it has a lot to do with the fact that the audience in general has been trained retrained perhaps um i was gonna say evolved but actually maybe devolved mm-hmm. um into not having to be curious anymore right and curiosity takes work That's when, true. when you're curious about something you want to go after it and you want to it's like the, the 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 man and the woman the man enjoys the hunt right like that's the natural instinct of the male species right it's like i i kind of liken that a little bit to all male and female just the curiosity thing there's that little there's that hunt where you have to go searching and you have to go to a record store you have to you look up in a, a concert listing and go and find it buy the ticket and wait four months for the band to come to town and then really savor the moment and be a hundred percent engaged when you get that chance now you're given the chance to re-up it's like rebuy it's like being playing a poker game and you go bust you instantly rebuy with unlimited funds mm-hmm. you will now have unlimited poker chips you can play forever so it doesn't matter there's no value in each hand a pair of aces or seven deuce offsuit now become <laughs> the same value right because because you've completely devalued the the art form Right. I think by by mass saturation, I think that is why you see lists of comments on YouTube videos that of, of atrocious bullshit that's being Whoa. presented, where people are adoring of it. Yeah. Because they don't know any better. I th- I think I don't know. Do you agree? I mean, I don't know. I also feel like there might be an aspect of um, 
this famous person is like me in some way. Like That's what the, the viewer f- is thinking. Right. Like I don't understand because when I was young, YouTube didn't exist. Right. So the people that I looked up to and aspired to be like were way ahead of me in whatever they were doing. Sure. Like I watched Disney Channel all the time and I was so jealous of the girls who were my age who were starring in like Mickey Disney Mouse Channel Club movies. Yeah. yeah. Well, not, I'm not that old. But okay. um, <laughs> yeah, <Sorry>. anyway. <coughs> but yeah, the, those people were talented yeah. in some regard. They'd done something with their lives already and I wanted to be like that. And I saw myself in them a little bit and it inspired me to want to do those things. Right. And yeah. now YouTube has no talent barrier. You just well, have to have a camera. It has no, yeah, it has no requirement. Right. There's, there's no gatekeeper anymore. Which, on the one hand, is obviously how I make a living. Definitely. Because there is no A and R. I don't have to convince someone anymore, you know, to give me a shot and give me a record deal and go through that whole thing. Um, but as much as I, I appreciate the fact that everyone is, is, is equal and can can do all these things and can make art and can release it and can build an audience yeah i don't think i don't think everyone takes an equal responsibility for their art and i feel that um you and bob reynolds and people of your generation generation or age are just in a very unique spot where you we straddle you did have a gate keeper and you couldn't have made it without actual talent and skill well, and yet you've been able to straddle the millennial bridge sure. into this youtube generation and sure. somehow you have a following in both right regards. but both bob and i who have if you want to look purely statistically similar numbers of followers <laughs> on all platforms actually we're mm-hmm. very quite even in that regard of numbers uh we don't have 500,000 followers. We don't have a million followers. Right. We don't have 2 million subscribers. Every video doesn't get 300,000 But that's up. what I'm saying. But you also don't pander to... Absolutely. And no, because we're wired. You're right. We're wired a completely different way. Right. You know, I look at the videos that have like the big letters on the thumbnail and it's a cheesy clickbait Mm-hmm. tight i did that once i, I was think. gonna say the what well that's what i'm getting at okay go for it is that i feel that your subscribers and your listeners are a little coffee bit drinkers different you're a little bit they're a little bit more tuned in switched on because Absolutely. why would it's just can't in my world be the same kind of person yeah. who and i was going to say the one time that you did that clickbaity thing I got you got hammered <laughs> i mean dear god the comments on that thing and if you look at one of these lovely individuals who has five to six hundred thousand subscribers on youtube and you every single video is clickbaity and they right. might have a couple comments that say oh this wasn't what you promised in the title but man you did it one time and it was like hell not bruh yeah, and I, I'm I'm looking for the um, for the for the actual video. I know it had Ferrari. I'm like getting off the mic here. I know it had Ferrari. Was it fifty million dollar, fifty million dollar Ferrari base? I think that's what it was. The irony being that I bought a six hundred dollar, you know, Mexican made Fender Mustang at the store, and here it is. Yes, my new base, fifty million dollar eighteen string custom Ferrari base. That was vlog number 59, January. And that's only the title. The thumbnail is the Mustang. Yeah, the thumbnail is me holding a Mustang. (laughs) 
And if I click on this, I'm not going to play the audio. Sick is euphobia. I was really sick that day. Okay. Forget about that. But this is one of those videos that had, oh, it's actually changed a little bit, but at one time it had more thumbs down than it had thumbs up. Whoa. Which is, normally it's quite skewed. Yeah. Like people are like pretty positive and forward thinking. Like, hey, cool. I follow you. So I generally dig your content. It's still got 854 thumbs up, but 631 thumbs down. Ironically, it's got over 87,000 views. So the dumb title did work. You know, I put out a video last week mm-hmm. with my new Mattison four string, really talking about an instrument that's actually out there and available and being honest and being transparent and making this beautiful looking video. It didn't get shit. No. But this dumb clickbaity thing with a $600 base got over 87,000 views. And the comments are unbelievable did i pin that one i pinned this one because ron williams decided to say approaching middle age still living in a studio apartment and dressing like a 25 year old is a career in jazz really worth it oh no yeah it was hardcore and i mean ron williams got well he got torn a new asshole for that thank you very much for that coffee drinkers that was I, pr- I appreciate the support. <laughs> what I, you don't know is that my alter ego is Ron Williams. <laughs> ah, so it was you all along. Just kidding. Before we were even even a thing. Um, <laughs> no, no, we were together then. Um, oh, yeah. And then uh, Bill Scott chimed in and um, said, you forgot to cover that he seems like an insincere, self-absorbed guy on top of that. So th- I can vouch for that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That was probably Chelsea's way. How many YouTube accounts do you have? You don't want to know. But let's get back to the point. I think... They're all really bad white guy names. Okay. Bill, Ron, Steve. Easy. Let's not Doug. offend all the Bill, I'm Ron, sorry. Steve, I'm and Doug, and, and, and Bob's, Steve and, and Doug, and Bob. You know what my name is, right? John. John, yes. In, <laughs> but Yannick is, is John in Polish. Um, but getting back to that thing, yeah, I think, like I said, not not everyone takes an equal responsibility or as much responsibility as perhaps they should for their art when they're creating it. And the audience, I think, has completely forgotten. You know, like look at today's improvised music, for Mm -hmm. instance, what you might call jazz or improvised music. And from what is out there currently that's supposedly hip and new, you would you would possibly think that people never knew Weatherport or the Headhunters had ever existed or that Miles Davis was ever a thing. Right. Because so many people are just ripping that shit off and not really doing a good job of it either, kind of piecing it together in bits and pieces and, and puking it out there. And audiences go crazy about it. They do. And, and they, they, you know. But that's why I think the putting the responsibility on the maker of this new art uh-huh. is not <coughs> necessarily fair either because the audience is skewing the bar the yeah. audience has lowered the bar so now these lesser educated artists think that they're doing a great job right. you don't know what you don't know right, so right, they don't right, know right, right, that right. they're terrible maybe right but the audience is telling them they're great right Okay, let's just play devil's advocate for a second. Mm-hmm. What if the audience, that's cool for that audience and they genuinely like it, is that wrong? It's it, a tough call to me because if if somebody's having fun and they're enjoying the music, who the fuck am I to say, 
oh, dude, you're wrong, and you should go listen to Miles Davis and the Headhunters and Weather Report. I, as much as I might believe that, and I don't like the music, and I think the the audience I'm talking about is dumb and they need to be more educated, who am I to say that? Like, I have to look at it from that side. As dark as I can get on this stuff sometimes, you know? Yeah, but then I become, like, the douchey elitist intellectual where I've always... I'm like sincerely worried for our culture right uh-huh. now. Yeah. I've kind of always thought the more I grow up that um, America and the world as a whole is like descending back into kind of dark ages of uh-huh. of art. Oh. And wow. you are only as strong as your weakest link when it comes to art. Right. And if our masses are approving of things as bad as cardi b's new song that we haven't listened to yet (laughs) then it is i think it's called bodak yellow the name of the song the name of cardi b's let's not even put that out there oh no let's just use it just go just go find it friends okay uh (laughs) yeah i just it it hurts me and i hope that people are having fun but i you know it doesn't kill you to do a little work yeah, to not use your curiosity. Like, trap music, right. <laughs> or at least not pay for it. You know? No, let's face it, nobody's paying for music anyway. <laughs> really, for recorded music, who's paying for recorded music right then now? Then how is Cardi B wearing Louboutins, and I'm not? I think it's more like, you know, someone's t- paying for something they shouldn't be paying for. That's all okay. I gotta say. Let's just put it this way: Tiger Woods makes a certain amount of money winning golf tournaments, mm. and then he makes a bajillion dollars from endorsements. Right, so. Right. I think there's a lot of that going on when you're Cardi B. Um, shall we take a couple of questions? Yeah. Okay. Before we do, got to plug the question department, yannickwizdala.com forward slash podcast. Leave us a message on SpeakPipe and we will read it out or we'll play it in the podcast. We'll try and ask you a question. So um, we're going to Harry. His email address says hotmail.co.uk. So I'm guessing we're about to hear something that's not american so let's uh, let's see what <laughs> harry had to say so xenophobic here hello yannick hello chelsea from uh sunny roastland in north wales um uh, my question is sort of in two parts i suppose the other day on one of your podcasts you mentioned about um the way i suppose european musicians uh mostly use terms as semi-breathe minim crotchet, quaver, semi-quaver, as to describe the length of a note. And uh, over the over the waters, it's eighth note and sixteenth note and all that. Do you think there are any benefits or disadvantages to either of those different ways? And secondly, how do you think there are any differences in the playing um, across the pond? Do you notice anything, say, for example, as a fellow Welshman, Lawrence Cottle, um, do you notice any differences in sort of British playing in the jazz world as opposed to other countries? Can you hear Can you hear a difference? Thank you. Keep up the good work. Hulvaur. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love your accent. Wales. Also, I Lawrence just want to point Cottle. out the... Uh, Go on. I'm assuming he was being very sarcastic with the sunny part. Oh, of course. Okay, just making sure. Because if there's a sunny part of Wales, I want to go there. (laughs) The Welsh, much like the English, have quite the dry sense of humor. I'm Welsh. Huh? I'm 25% Welsh. Shout out to my 
Whale's cousins. <laughs> okay, well, let's get to Harry's question. Um, yeah, we debated this a little bit as to, you know, why you call a quarter note, or, or in the UK, a crotchet, you call it a quarter note here, but it's a quarter when you're playing in 4-4, four, four, and what about when you're playing in 3 or 5? I and mean, I did very much appreciate that argument. Right, and I, I think that's a real question. I will say that... I do wish there was just a common language. Mm -hmm. And I, I absolutely, in my experience of like traveling the world over, it's only in the UK that they will say minim and crotchet and semi-breathe and all of these words. I'm not going to, if I'm, and I have been in like Japan or Australia on a recording session with musicians, like in Japan, for instance, with musicians, is English is their second or third language and they're saying quarter note. Right. I think America has been the heavier influence in modern popular music. I think it's very different in classical music. I don't think I can speak to that with any authority at all. So maybe it's different in that world. Maybe you'll find that more in European music, that it's a crotchet and a minim. I guess it depends who your conductor is. But really, these words, I mean, either you're talking about rugby or you're saying incantations. But where did these <gasps> words come from? I, who knows? We, 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 those are things we need to research As before we hit record. As an I'm very interested in... I'm going to no, look that up. It's, uh, I, uh, I appreciate the fact that I know both. Only for the fact that... Only in, in the rare case that I'm actually in England or speaking to an English musician and they say minimum, I don't have to go, uh, mm. Hey Siri, um, can you... <laughs> <laughs> so no, I don't think there's any advantage to one or the other. Not for me, for you. I guess you have an experience. Well, yeah. No, I have an experience the other Outside. way. But I, I do <coughs> appreciate, I suppose, f as an outsider, at least all of ours are very specifically fraction-based, whereas all of these right. words are completely unrelated, unrelated to me. Yeah. Um, so I think as a child, it definitely helped to learn my fractions and learn how to read music kind of at the same time. I was That's like it. six years old when I learned both things. So That's a good point. Yeah. So it's I guess, you know. Easy to easy to break down logically practically i understand that you're not in 4-4 all the time right but but i'm you, guessing in western music at least most people start off in four absolutely you and learn if, in four and then it's ap applicable from if there those are the first things you see visually then it does make a lot of sense when you break Completely it down Completely makes sense um the next part of the question is is kind of difficult to answer without being rude no, it's not. I think this could be answered objectively, but I'm also an American, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. Go for it. You go um, first. So I, I'm this, I, we're talking about jazz. No. So no, he said that. He yeah. said, "Do you hear a difference in specifically about specifically jazz?" jazz. Okay. So it's kind of like saying, "Do a." This is a really bad and kind of racist comparison. So well, don't, let's not go there. <laughs> no, it's not racist. Okay. It's a countryist. Countryist, so, okay. Um, it's like saying, does an English Beatles cover band or an American Beatles cover band sound more like the Beatles? Can that be said? You think? I think as a whole, mm -hmm. if you put a whole grip of English Beatles cover bands and a whole bunch of American ones next to each other... Yeah. As a whole, the English ones are going to beat them out. Right. They've been listening to the Beatles yeah, okay. forever. I, okay, I see where you're going. So if we're talking They're about part jazz, of popular culture. it started in jazz the Jazz started in America. Yeah. We have been listening to our version of... From slavery. Well, and all of, our, all of our pop music is 
in some way based off of our American slave music, which right. jazz is as well. So all of the vocabulary and the rhythms and the same Gospel feel form and, and yeah, forms yeah, exactly yeah. we've grown up with from a very young age where I think right. it might not okay. be the same for someone growing up in Britain. I, well, I, yeah, absolutely. I will say on, on an indigenous yeah. tip, uh, absolutely a historical tip, that doesn't exclude someone being able to learn that or absolutely not like me or plenty of people i know move here sure and become immersed in that culture but to answer your question ab directly absolutely i can tell right 100 percent. i mean we could also say to be a little more racist but yeah. less because i am one it's like listening to a cuban place also or listening to a white guy place also oh. you can tell in five seconds yeah not you me put you put chelsea tell in one next second. to me and we both play the same like Salsa line, there's no contest. Chelsea wins every time. But I grew up listening to it and doing it since Cuban. I was a child. Yeah, and then, yeah, it's <laughs> your just family different. is Cuban. You, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's it's a completely different thing, and it's something that if you, uh, we can get into the whole. This goes into the whole music education thing, and how sort of bullshit I think it is to to have a degree that is called a jazz degree. <laughs> you betcha I got one. Yeah, hey, I, if I'd have stuck around long enough, I'd have probably got one too. Um, I, I always said, fuck this, I'm out. I'll, I'll wait until you guys give me one. Mm. It's kind of a dick thing to say, but I, I was like, yeah, it is at the end of the day kind of pointless having a degree in jazz because you don't learn that shit in school. Like Kind of. To intellectualize it is the mistake, right. I think. And I think that is what happens that happens in America, but at least in America, you have the community mm -hmm. and the history available. And available to go and immerse yourself in right. outside school. You go to the ACM in Guildford, the Academy of Contemporary Music, which is like the Berkeley of the UK, and you're still in Guildford. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what What are you gonna do? Like, you don't, you can't go down the street and check out Jeff Tame Watts with Branford Marsalis and Joey Calderazzo and right. Eric Rivas and listen to how a, a real bass swings. Because there just aren't the sheer volume of musicians of that caliber living in the UK. Now, don't get me wrong. There are immense, world-class, innovators leading their field type of musicians from the UK. There's no doubting that. Right. Even in the field of jazz. A lot smaller, I would say, than, say, rock when you take, like, the Beatles or the Stones or the Who or any of these kind of bands. You know, you, and, but then again, when, when I think of a big jazz star from the UK, I think of maybe John Taylor, the piano player, who is incredible. He's an incredible improviser, composer, straight up piano player, but it's very different. I don't think of him as a piano player in the same sense as I think of like Herbie Hancock or Chick Corea or Bill Evans or one of those big innovators of the art form. That's not to discount John Taylor because I love him, but you know, it's the guys like John McLaughlin or Dave Holland or, um, oh, piano player who was English, uh, played with everyone, <laughs> Miles, way back in the day, not Winton, was it Winton Kelly? No, um, another one, another one, another one. I can't remember off the top of my head. My history's gone for a second, brain fart, but some of those guys, like look at Joe Zawinul, for instance, from Austria. Austria might be the least swinging country on earth. Well, that's what I was- But he played in Cannibal Adley's band. Right. Like, it's ridiculous because he came here and immersed himself mm -hmm. in it, as did, Dave Holland, as did John McLaughlin, you know, and
and and I think unless you have that kind of lineage in your playing, yeah, there's going to be a disconnect. Right. And you're just not going to get that immersion. Mm-hmm. I think that's key. So absolutely, I can tell. And drummers especially is so rough. You know, it is so rough. Um, I think that might, if I remember rightly, lead really well into the next question. Um, let's see what oh, yeah. Aiden Hampson has to... Hi guys, it's Aiden Hampson here, contacting you from the south of the UK. I've been a fan of the podcast since the beginning, and it's great that you started it back up again. Um, I'm really looking forward to more from you guys in the future. Anyway, my question is about drummers. The relationship between bassists and drummers is, of course, crucial to any band, and I'm interested in how you both approach working with new drummers at either a gig or in the studio. How do you adapt to their unique field? Do you spend a lot of time listening to them beforehand, or is it something that you feel should happen more organically in rehearsals? Um, And finally, how do you suggest that less experienced players approach it? Thank you again for the great podcast. Great question. It did segue pretty well. Does it lessen the meaning if I tell every single person who gives us a question that I love their accent? Because I truly you like mean accents. it to all of you. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. This is yeah. Coffee drinkers, you're doing well on the accents. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Agent and Harry. Uh, um. So, go ahead. No, the one thing I, I really wanted you to go first. There's one thing that popped into my head uh that came what we were talking about earlier on one of the positive things about youtube because aiden asked do you check out that drama a Mm. lot beforehand Mm -hmm. one of the positive things about youtube is you can go troll the internet and find footage of a perhaps a drama that you haven't worked with before and put in some do some homework and Mm -hmm. check them out whether he or she does this or that they're on top of the beat behind the beat their style their sound to a certain extent that was just one, one thing as he was saying the question that popped into my head how, how do you feel answering that question like you would we both do it all the time yeah I think we also have the opposite ends of the spectrum of it also because usually when I'm showing up to one of my casuals my many casuals for the week right um a lot of the times this just happened the other just last week when I got a group text about the details of the gig right. and I didn't have a single number saved in the five people that were in the group text and I went oh god you know, I've, go. I've lived in LA my entire 27 years and if I don't know every person on that group text right. it's about to be some questionable questionable gigging um but it just turned out that I got really lucky and I knew all of those people I just didn't happen to have their phone numbers and they were all amazing musicians but my point is that uh, very often I am showing up to a gig and have no idea who right. the hell that person is. I have no idea where they came from or what school they went to. And usually you play a set and then you don't get to know the person until the break. So right. you can learn <laughs> so much about who they are. I love to try to guess things about people by their playing before I get to learn anything about them. Um, I do have a tip. I'm assuming, Aiden, that you're a bass player and that you are asking about other drummers that you're playing with um for a lesser experienced player i think the the word or phrase that really opened up drummers to me um in a very different way than i'd thought of before was the term skip note if you're playing why do you look at me like no because this is new i'm this is great i'm I'm learning i'm about to learn something i'm happy (laughs) go so uh i'm of the privilege that my dad is a jazz drummer so he was always dropping these giant 
tips on me about how to listen to drummers correctly and how to play with them correctly and I was always watching him give drum lessons so I really knew what to listen for um basically a skip note is when you're playing a swing beat um it is what the drummer does on the ride cymbal so you generally hear you know if someone asks you to mimic jazz you hear them go clang 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 that cl in between the clangs is the skip note you can learn so much about a drummer by where they place their skip note between right. the quarter notes. So one exercise that my dad would do to help a drummer and a bass player lock in better, and I actually did this for 30 minutes straight in a practice room with the drummer that I played with all the time in college, is you have the drummer play just quarter notes with no skip notes on a ride cymbal, and you walk bass. So you're just doing ding, 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 and the the drummer is playing ch, ch, right. ch, ch, with no ch, 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 right. ch. no skip right so the skip note happens either right next to the chord note after the first one so ch, 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 right. ch, 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 or it can happen in the middle ch, 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 ch. right tony williams plays like that yeah very wide skip note um so that will tell you a lot about a drummer. It tells you how they're subdividing the beat. It tells you if they're playing ahead of the beat or behind the beat or directly on the beat. Um, it tells you a lot about their swing feel, if they like a tight groove or a loose groove. Right. Um, and as a bass player, my first goal, if I'm playing with a new drummer, um, there are a lot of other things that go into this, but this is just one of my favorite things to think about is applying their skip note to the rest of their groove. Okay. Seeing how they tighten up that cymbal, if it's loose, whatever it yep. is, and how it applies to the rest of how they're playing the kit. Okay. And that helps me to lock in. Okay. And you play a lot of straight ahead gigs. I do. You play upright bass and you play a lot of walking time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're saying this doesn't apply to most people who are listening? No, no. I'm saying absolutely place that like... Most people who work, <laughs> that applies to. You know <laughs> well, I, mean? I just think in general, a, a drummer's cymbal playing is going to reveal all of their weakness because Absolutely. the cymbals is where you reveal your subdividing. Sure. And if you are subdividing in time, you're a great drummer to play with. And if you're not, it is painful. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess I have different experiences. I don't do that. Uh, so often you okay. know? I, and I've, like you said I don't play a lot of different gigs I don't play a lot of gigs period in, in town especially and I don't play a lot of different gigs with a lot of different musicians all the time um, I will say that I'm really really picky that's uh, an understatement yeah I, it's it's bad like somebody asked about being depressed about the sense of community or the scene in LA a couple of podcasts ago or maybe the last podcast and the, the drum thing is like a huge source of that like I was almost in tears listening to this guy the other night because he was so good and, uh, and then I thought he lived in New York but he actually lives here and this was like holy crap we got one we got one <laughs> for now till he you know, moves to New York till he moves to New York you know because people who play like that just there's not really a place for him here unless they just on the road all the time um, but in terms of what I'm looking for you gotta be great it's that's a really broad bullshit thing to say but for me you gotta be really 
great. You have to be a musician. There has to be something that tells me you listen mm. and that you don't just sit in a practice room and play drums all day long. You know, there's got to be something about your playing that tells me you've, you have some experience, you know what a melody is, you play songs, you know how to end one section and move to another, that you know about form. You know, I want to feel form. I don't care how complex the song is. I want to feel form like it's a 12-bar blues. Like, right. that is something. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to have to struggle. But from a you know? bass player's perspective, how do you play with someone you feel like you're struggling with? Okay, um, I quit the gig. <laughs> no, really, um, I do. Uh, but I have been in, obviously, of course, I didn't just turn 40 and start playing music I've been playing music a long time I've done a lot of crappy gigs with crappy drummers and I'll tell you what uh, Leonel Lueke used to impress the living shit out of me because how strong he was and how he never said no to a gig and would end up with the dumbest drummers like it could be me playing drums on a gig and he'd say yeah no problem man I do the gig you know and he would show up and you couldn't tell that it that it, that it was affecting him. It was like he was playing with Brian Blade and Dave Holland, but it could have been Tweedledee and Tweedledum, you know, Bill and Ben the Flowerpot Men. It just could have been <laughs> anyone, you know, could have been Zebedee on on bass trombone, and he just could do his own thing regardless. I think that is huge. Being so confident in your own time as a bass player and knowing exactly where your fundamental bass level of ability is and time and I don't move from this spot type of confidence. But it can be very harrowing no matter how confident you are to play for extended periods Absolutely. of time with someone. Especially if somebody either drags or mm -hmm. rushes. and It I can make you feel crazy. Oh, it can totally make you feel crazy. I'm already crazy. So I, 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 like, I get totally psychotic about it and I'm just like, here's the time. Right you can come or not like yeah. fuck you I i'm kinda. staying here you know what i mean you, but i feel like that's a bass player's prerogative yeah it's kind of our a good bass player or a play, bass player with a little bit of confidence you know but i also think that if the gig is that long it will drive you nuts to stay in to stay your 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 your, your course and have somebody drag or rush around you so you are going to be like all right i give up i don't want to struggle that long i'll drag with you we might come to a dead stop and have to start the song again, but I'll drag with you or I'll rush with you. Mm -hmm. You know, here's one thing. I don't encourage either. I don't encourage dragging. I do not encourage rushing. But I'll take a slight rush over a drag any day of the week. Sure. You know, it's death to feel yeah. like you're going backwards yep. on a groove. Like that's a big no-no to it's me. It's also death to be pulling the entire band with you yeah. while everyone else is sinking into a hole. Now, do you get the... Um, I'm. I'm a hundred, I bet my life on this that you're going to have the same answer as me. Mm -hmm. Get to the end of a gig where you've been dragging the band. Oh, no, you just get to an end of the gig. Mm -hmm. And you can tell if you've been dragging the band or not. Because oh, your chops are like... Swollen. Right? Swollen. And just like, I never normally work this hard. Right. I'm doing the same gig I did three weeks ago, but it was 10 times harder. I thought you were going to say when you get to the end of a gig where you've been dragging the band, do you also just pack your stuff up and walk out the door? Because yes, <laughs> yeah. I also do that. Um, yeah, yeah I'd tough, say but... in terms of working with <clears throat> drummers though, who are difficult or you've never worked with them before, yeah. um, a lot of people get offended when you don't make eye contact very often. Oh yeah. For me, 
I only make eye contact when you're doing something wrong, <laughs> which is not a good quality, I'm sure. Or it's not what people want. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, but yeah. I'm not one of those people who likes to like stare longingly into my drummer's eyes while we make good time. That is a uh, little disturbing to me. I yeah. like to feel time sure. in my ears and and not with my eyes. Now, do you apply that to the rest of the band? Are you generally like you want to stay kind of in your shell and do your thing? No, I'm never in my shell. Okay, I'm good. looking around right, right, and right, I'm right. not not looking at the drummer. I am always looking at his hands. I'm looking at the woof of the kick drum to yeah. make sure, you know, but I don't need to be looking into your eyeballs. That's a little weird to me. Sure. I don't like the making eye contact and smiling thing. And usually if I'm looking at my drummer, he knows he's in trouble because right. I am bitch and some side eye at that right. motherfucker right there. <laughs> uh, yeah. But there, there's definitely, and I've experienced that with like with some English players who are quite reserved in the oh, way they, sure. they get away and they get into their shell and they get their head down and they, regardless of the instrument, it could be a piano player, it could be a drummer, it could be any instrumentalist. And they, sh they, they appear to be complete, they might be totally engaged musically, but they appear to be completely shut off physically from the rest of the gig. And I would encourage against that. You need to communicate with the rest of the band. Yeah. And I have not been uh, past even going a step further than that. Sometimes you have to, on a break or if you're on an extended gig with someone, yeah. I have definitely been known to take someone aside and just very politely and like even in a positive way saying, yeah. hey man, you know, I'm kind of experiencing these things and it'd be really great if we could, you know, maybe if you hear me doing this, we can look at each other right. and like make sure that that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Always yeah. make the person feel, your, your only job, doesn't matter what we're talking about, drummers, saxophone, but your only job, no matter what you play in the band is to make everyone else sound better. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have that mentality, you, you'd be amazed at the, all the other stuff that will happen as a result of that. Mm. You know, you'll make everyone else so comfortable that you're way more comfortable and you can yeah. operate on a much higher level with, with much higher confidence. So always have that in mind and give people the benefit of the doubt as well. That's big. Like don't just go into a, you know, into a, into a gig or a situation with a thundercloud over your head, like try and be clear. And we haven't talked so much about, playing with good drummers that are different <laughs> we've kind of been ragging on people who rush and drag and have all kinds of psychological issues um but there is that thing of i mean i know i've been fortunate to play with some of my all-time hero drummers right. and when it gets to that thing like i don't think i forget pl the first time hmm. you know that i play with steve smith you know, Mr. Journey, Mr. Like, ding, dong, 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 ding, dong, dong, you know, like, don't stop believing. Even though I'm on a Mike Stern gig, all I'm hearing is don't stop believing because, <laughs> oh like, that's God. the dude who co-wrote it and that's his symbol. And it's amazing, like, the sound, like, the things you recognize in a player like that. Like, as soon as he played his symbol, I was like, oh, that's Journey. We're at Ronnie Scott's in London playing minor blues in C, but that's the journey symbol. Like wow. crazy things about that. Um, so, I mean, that, uh, that that's not so much applicable to, to everyone, but I will say savoring that. For, if, if there's someone, that's actually not a bad bad point. Like the, the, the confidence and the nervousness thing. If there is somebody that you've been wanting to play with for a long time, it's, I, I highly recommend trying to have some sort of memory of that. Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out a way that if you've got to have a glass of wine or take a Xanax or just meditate for an hour before you do it, just so you can remember some of that because it can be really 
really cool. Like I've learned a lot from those first moments. Mm. Like, and you have to learn quick. Like Dennis Chambers' time feel is incredible. Steve Smith's time feel, incredible. Completely different. And these are people that are like, I'm the lowest rung of the ladder and they're the highest. That's how I go into it. Right. They're on a pedestal for me and then some on, and on a milk crate and a phone book. <laughs> you know, they're way up there. And, and you're sort of a little bit nervous about that, but you have to figure out where the beat is, where the groove mm. is and how Dennis Chambers plays funk is different from the way he plays swing. And so the time feel can be different with the same drummer on the same gig yeah. from song to song, even though it's that whole skip thing. Mm-hmm. can change it can be different on different things so so many things to be aware of but there's no substitute for experience there's no substitute for time spent doing it at the end of the day and the more you do it whether the person is dennis chambers or whether the person is a first year student in middle school it doesn't matter you know i will learn something from playing with a middle school student yeah a hundred percent and i don't think i'd be half as confident in my own time feel if i hadn't played with 300 drummers this year you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I can say that in my lifetime. That's amazing. No, really. Yeah. And I got to say another thing that helps as a bassist specifically is playing gigs without drummers a oh, lot. Yeah, 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 I yeah. would say that 50% or more of my gigs are played without a drummer. <coughs> wow, that's a lot of... Yeah. That is a lot of work. But then your... Your time is you have so many people relying on you and people yeah. who are not used to keeping time for themselves relying on an instrument they're not used to relying on. Right. Here's another, here's another very important pro tip. Everyone in the band is equally responsible for the time. Oh, this is my favorite thing. I used to be a substitute school teacher. Okay. And when I was uh, teaching like orchestra, like high school orchestra classes, my favorite thing to do would be to ask the entire like 200 children orchestra, who's responsible for the time? And everyone would point in the back to the, <laughs> to percussionist, the percussionist. And I said, take your finger and point it at yourself. So, and they yeah. would all go, whoa. But it's so true. It is really true. So that ting ting to ting the vocalist when they're resting (laughs) during the saxophone solo is equally responsible for the time because they have to know when to come back in you know and if you go into it with that mentality that you're not relying on the drama that you are equal partnership i think that's super healthy as well Um, we have talked for a bass podcast way too much about dramas today (laughs) love you guys (laughs) But I think your allotted time is is over. But um, great question. Yeah, it's a great question. Two great um, questions. We will have more questions. They're in the list. Send us more. Yeah. Yannickwasdala.com forward slash podcast. Click the appropriate button. Leave us a message. We'll play. You're hearing this now. I don't I shouldn't need to repeat this. But we could definitely, we could always use more questions. Always. It's really helpful. It fuels the podcast. It gets us thinking about stuff. We end up making more cool stuff for you guys as a result of it and it helps us with our process you know helps us have polite little base couple arguments at home about things. <laughs> <laughs> the best part of my day and on that bombshell coffee drinkers see you on the next one see ya